Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the use of 3D in retail and beyond. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Beck Bessiker, co-founder and CEO of 3D Cloud by Markson. Beck, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Uh, before we get started, why don't you give a little background on yourself as well as what you're currently doing in your in your current role? Yeah, so uh, I've been in generally the the marketing technology space for 25 years, sort of cloud-based content management uh, solutions. Started a company in the early 2000s sold in CR uh, around the uh, target marketing space. And then uh, this company, Marksense, has been around for about 11 years. Uh, we're one of the very early entrants into the 3D content management space, particularly for use cases in and around uh, uh, retail and, and commerce. And, uh, you know, we work with, you know, folks like Ashley Furniture, Macy's, uh, Lowe's, and, and large enterprise uh, retailers helping them execute their 3D commerce strategies. Great, great. Well, so let's get started here. Talk about the, the use of 3D in, in retail. How would you describe the current state of 3D usage in retail by the average retailer as opposed to industry leaders? Sure. I mean, we're still... Um, you know, we're still in the first inning of 3D within within retail. Um, I'd like to answer this question by kind of going to where it will be, because I think it helps put it in a little bit of context, if that's okay. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the, what's, what's inevitable is that eventually 3D will replace, uh, will become the, the principal way you see and interact with products uh, online. You know, so imagine every single product page that you'd go to on Amazon or Wayfair or target.com or Macy's that uh, it's in fact a, a 3d model that you can interact with and articulate and pinch and zoom and twirl and spin and download. Um, uh, eventually 3d will replace all photography on every product page. Um, and that will be from, you know, everything from furniture to shoes to, you know, uh, you know, luxury watches, you know, uh, dog food, <laughs> bottles. um, it'll be everywhere. Um, but we're probably 10 years away from that. Um, and the reason is 3d is just, uh, it's transformable, it's reusable. Uh, you can take 3d and, and, you know, see it in physical space using AR or other applications. You can use that content for advertising. You can use that content for visual merchandising. It's just a very, very malleable asset um, that people will just come to expect in time. Yeah. So today, the um, the cost of 3D modeling is still quite high. I mean, you could be spending 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 dollars on creating a, a relatively simple product. And 
the and the quality, like the visual quality you can create in 3D, um, you know, is it, a live 3D model is still not quite, you know, hyper-realistic, right? Like a photo would be. So the, the cost and the technology have a little bit of ways to go, but the categories that are already out in front are, are the home categories. So, um, you know, furniture is by far the largest use case of, of 3D uh, for, you know, furniture, kitchen, bath, uh, decking, places where you need 3D to do some sort of configuration before you buy a product. Those are the, the leaders in the space right now. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, what kinds of things are those leaders doing um, that, that are setting them apart? So, so what's happening is, um, I use a, an analogy, like uh, we used to like call a professional to book an airline ticket, yeah. right? Because they had a desktop tool and they would tick away at the, you know, while you're on the phone with them and, and get you your ticket, right? Yeah. Then, you know, Expedia and, and Travelocity and all these sites, you know, webified them and made them easy to use and point and click, drag and drop. And all of a sudden we're all, you know, we can all book airline tickets by ourselves. The same thing is now happening for the home industry where it used to be, if you wanted to design a kitchen or a bathroom or, um, you know, lay out furniture in a, a virtual space, like there was a desktop tool, you, you know, you would download Photoshop or some other, you know, professional tool. Uh, you had to have a, you know, a big graphics card and a big processor and, you had to be trained on how to use the software. Now we can take all, because 3D is now available for browsers. We can take all that software, really make it, you know, drag and drop, super simple, put it on the web and people can do it themselves. And so, I mean, we're doing hundreds of thousands of kitchens and decks and bathrooms and, you know, where consumers are just doing it themselves. And so now it's becoming like a self-service e-commerce tool to design a kitchen and check out. Yeah, yeah. Beyond maybe some of the leaders and, and some of the areas where it's being used, you know, where do you see some other big opportunities in, in retail and, and, you know, what kind of benefits do you think it can bring there? So there's a, a confluence of variables that have to meet in order for it to work. So for instance, for something like a kitchen, if we created 3D models of like a kitchen catalog, those products the you know, the faucets and the appliances and the counters and the and the you know cabinets themselves, like they're once we create those assets, they're not going to change very often, yeah. right? Like once every two or three years, right? You might update a finish or something. So the the cost of creating those assets can be amortized over a long period of time. Then you also look at well, what's the use case? It's like well, okay, I'm trying to I actually have to configure this in order to, to buy a kitchen, and it's a several thousand dollar purchase, and so the 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 amortization of the content plus the use cases creating a value proposition that works. So for it to move into other categories to, to your question, like let's say uh, handbags, like as an example, will people, you know, use 3d to sort of visualize and interact with a handbag if they're on, you know, Gucci or someplace like that. Well, if you, if it costs you a thousand dollars to create that 3d asset and that products out of inventory in two months, you know, you're not going to get going to get a return on investment. Right. Then you have to ask the question: Well, do people actually really want to be able to hold a 3D Gucci bag in their hand? Like, is the yeah. is the product market fit there? Now, if the cost of creating that handbag is 25 cents, you know, why not? Right? You're probably going to get some lift out of that experience. And so it's this 
you got to find the, the cost and the amortization and the use case and if they all sort of intersect to, to actually make an ROI that actually works. So that's how we, we go from category to category and start testing that. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and this is probably to your point many years out, but I mean, you know, I work a lot with organizations where we're working on personalization strategies and, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, if you have a product, whatever that product is in the ad, in the, on the website and the mobile app, wherever you are, you know, could you see the exact product in the exact angle with, you know, all, all of those things, you know, true, true personalization that becomes really hard when you're doing, product photography, you know, you can't take a million photos of every single thing. It sounds like it might be early days to really try something like that at scale, but I definitely see some potential for things like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, may, you actually really interesting thing that we're sort of experiencing right now is let's say you're the manufacturer of um, a product. Let's just say you're doing furniture and I'm the retailer and the manufacturer, you may along with me. So I I love the couches you manufacture. I'm going to buy them. And then I say, Hey, I need to to merchandise those couches on my site. Do you have any photography? And you say, yeah, here's some product shots I've made out of 3d and here's some like lifestyle images, right? Like, you know, in in a house and in context, a really nice glossy photo, but my website, I'm the retailer uses a different background, right? And, And I only may sell three of the five products that are in that photo. And so there's this like gap in the market between like what the manufacturers provide and what the retailers want, because they're going to personalize that content yeah. to their site. So all of this 3D stuff is actually a great answer to how to solve that. If the manufacturer says, well, here you go, here are the assets. And if you need to produce, you know, custom content for your own merchandising, you know, have at it. Yeah. And so, um, and then what that also does is now all of a sudden, instead of like using these assets for, you know, you can create photography in September and use them all year round. You can create instant content for like holidays, right? And promotions. And, um, and so it's much faster, much flexible, much less expensive, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, metaverse and, and all things, um, related to that for, for various reasons, Uh, you know, obviously it uses a lot of 3d, how do you see that changing retail and, you know, even, even what you're doing? So, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to be not jaded. <laughs> I trust me. I hear you. I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> well, it's funny. So I, I've, we wrote the very first augmented reality app for the app store in November of 11. Yeah. And so we love to be on the bleeding edge. So we love innovation. It's why we do what we do. It's, you know, the best part of the job. I've also lived from, from AR to VR to MR to XR to now, you know, it's all these different monikers we give the space. Um, you know, it, it, I think some of the stuff you're hearing, right? Well, here, here's how I think, here's where I think there's an absolute no question use case. If, if you're in some kind of game experience like Roblox or Fortnite and you've got avatars and you want to somehow wrap your personality and brand in like a virtual Nike shoe or a virtual, you know, Gucci bag or what have you, that makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, that's just basic like brand advertising and marketing, right? Yeah. Some of these other cases, like we have a lot of furniture clients who, you know, like, hey, what should we do about the metaverse? I'm like, well, man, it's kind of interesting. You, All you do is talk about creating high quality, realistic assets. And now you want to put them in 
Roblox, it's basically, you know, you know, cartoonish, like what's the, yeah, you know, there's a little bit of like a logic gap in there somewhere that needs to be sorted. I think, so my view on the, at least in this, I can only really speak to kind of where I've had some experience, but I think what's really interesting about a metaverse type opportunity for at least the home category is someday when you buy your home, the seller will also give you the, uh, an exact 3D model interactive replica of your home to go along with it. And it, Zillow will have 3D homes that you can download and interact. And so the idea of going out into something like the metaverse, whether it's like internet or connected experience or standalone and pulling things out of that world and into your own uh, digital version of you know, your space, I think it'd be, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. But, you know, we're the way I think about the metaverse now is the first thing we do when any technology is new is we copy what we already have in that new medium. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's like that's what we did with websites. They used to look like, you know, they were they were tech, the taxonomy of a catalog looked like a store. Right. 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 And you had, you know, and then, of course, that's all, you know, changed. And so to me, creating a virtual mall. And I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, sort of downplay the guys that are doing these kinds of things to create a virtual mall to walk around is like to me the equivalent of creating a of a virtual car lot to walk around to buy a car like that makes no earthly sense to me like i don't want to walk around a mall i want the mall to come come to me and and so but i think that's how you start right you the first thing you do is you go hey let's emulate the real world and and then we'll iterate and come up with something cooler yeah yeah, agreed. Well, yeah, let, so let's uh, go back to those companies that may not quite be on the on the cutting edge of, of using 3D in, in, in their retail, but so, you know, getting started and, and maybe accelerating their 3D usage. So, you know, for those that aren't quite there yet, um, what are some things that they should be keeping in mind as they're trying to get started in, in this realm? Initially, kind of in this space, a lot of early adopters thought of 3D as like, an application, like I need an augmented reality application, or I need a product configure app, or I need like a room planning app. And that's, that's perfectly fair kind of three, four or five years ago. But the truth is there's lots of use cases for 3d. And while you might pilot or beta something, you know, by just buying an individual app, once you, if you're a big enterprise, like a Kohler or a Lowe's or a Best Buy or whomever, the 3D really is like a platform decision. You need to buy a content management system, almost like you'd buy a CRM. You wouldn't buy nine different CRM systems, right? You'd buy right. one CRM system and deploy it. The same is true with 3D because you want to repurpose the same asset and you want to deploy it to different applications and you want analytics all in the same place. And so I think the biggest, deci- outside of maybe like piloting something, the biggest decision that people need to make first is, okay, what's going to be my content management system first, and then what are going to be my applications second? And you mentioned analytics, so I'll go there a little bit further. How should those companies be measuring success? Like, what are the metrics that your customers use to, to measure how well they're doing? It's, it's, I mean, there are a ton of parallels to e-commerce. Things like dwell time, where we all know the more time you spend with something, the more likely you are to buy it. Augmented reality absolutely works. There's no question about it. If if AR is available on a product page, you get a two to three times increase in conversion. 
It's mm-hmm. very consistent. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, some of that's you're interested in the product anyway, so you probably want a discount. But even if you get a 100%, you know, 20% or 30% increase in conversion, that's still pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. So what we have learned, though, is augmented reality does not work equally for all things. Um, it's primarily used in the home category as a replacement for measuring. Mm. So if you look at what gets used in AR, it's like big things like dining room sets and bedroom furniture and, you know, sectionals. Those are like the most popular categories. People don't really use AR for like lamps and mirrors. Yeah, I got it. So you probably don't want to spend money there. But, you know, it's all the same kind of metrics. It's, you know, increases in average order value. It's it's uh, duration in the application. It's conversion to, you know, uh, leads. If, if you're using it as like a lead generation tool, like into a design team, uh, it is reduction in, you know, returns because people are able to interact and get a more, you know, make sure they buy the right thing at the right size. So it's it's very, very similar to. It's all the same metrics that we use to measure, you know, website performance. Got it. Got it. Great. One last question before we wrap up here. You know, we've talked a little bit about current state. We've talked about some some future state stuff. But, you know, wh- what do you think people wish they would have known about 3D about five years from now? Let's see. I think um, 3D five years from now. I, I really think that the intersection between... 3D and consumers doing more themselves before they make a transaction are directly connected. Yeah. And so if I may, you know, again, we really specialize in kind of the home categories, but the rate at which consumers will expect to be able to do more before they talk to a salesperson, because I mean, that's kind of the truth. We all Nobody really wants to go in and talk to a salesperson until they absolutely have to, right? Yeah. <laughs> and nobody ever says it, but that's how we all feel. And, you know, it's why we research the heck out of a, you know, a restaurant before we call somebody, right? That's what right, we do. Right. So this is, there, there's a world of self-service coming that 3D will unlock. And the ones that get there quicker are going to uh, earn a lion's share of, of customers' attention. Um, and, uh, and man, we saw this like crazy in COVID when people actually couldn't go into the stores, like the amount of time people was, we have one lady, I'm by kid you not, she spent 50 hours in a kitchen planning tool and built 10 different kitchens. Wow. And, you know, you know, it was fun, probably fun, right. For her. Right. right. Yeah, if you're if you're on lockdown as well, it's probably uh, that's that's a nice uh, that's a nice week's uh, work, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and if it's stuff you you know, it's a huge transaction, it's a, yeah. it's a big dollar purchase. You don't want to make a mistake, and and the, and we all think we're like you know, we you know we watch HDTV and we all think we could do that, right? And right. So it's kind of a little bit of like you know playing house, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Well, Beck, uh, thanks so much for joining. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Sure. Uh, company's called Markson. Uh, you can find us at 3dcloud.com. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Beck Bessiker, co-founder and CEO of 3D Cloud by Markson, for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. 
If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.